What is your attitude? What do you think about prayer? That's very important because your attitude towards prayer, what you think about prayer will go a long ways to the practice of your prayer and what prayer looks like in your life. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. What is your attitude? What do you think about prayer? That's very important because your attitude towards prayer, what you think about prayer will go a long ways to the practice of your prayer and what prayer looks like in your life. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Last week, Pastor Clay showed us some of the realities of prayer that we can expect in our prayer life when our prayer life looks like Daniel's. Interspersed in the book of Daniel are these occasions where we find Daniel praying, Daniel praying, Daniel praying, and just this practice of prayer in his life. If you were with us for last week's study, you may know that we weren't able to quite get to all of the realities. So today, Pastor Clay is going back to Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 23, and portions of chapter 10 give us one more reality about prayer. As always, thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. Ninety-five percent of you struggle in prayer. Be far off with that number. If you, I'm not polling. I'm not asking for raising of hands, but but I would raise my hand. I struggle with prayer at times. Struggle with with uh, with figuring out the schedules and figuring out how much you know time, effort, energy, all that kind of stuff. So people struggle with prayer, I think, at times. In Daniel chapter 9 and in Daniel chapter 10, I know this is kind of weird, but in the first part of Daniel chapter 9 and then all of chapter 10, we have this instance where Daniel uh, is praying and Daniel gets a response. There are two separate occasions. I'll talk about that in a few moments. But Daniel is praying, especially in the first part of chapter 9. And if you were with us or if you've gone back and watched or listened uh, to the messages, you know that he's praying in Daniel chapter 9 a prayer of repentance. We talked about that last week. The people of Israel had been in captivity for 70 years. And Daniel read this, this prophecy uh, in the book of Jeremiah where God specifically said 70 years and then I'm going to let my people go back. Daniel understood that. Daniel said, hey, let's see, I've been here 67, 68 years somewhere in that time frame at that point. So Daniel knows what's going on. And in that promise in Jeremiah, if you remember from last week, uh, uh, God said through the prophet Jeremiah, if my people pray at the end of that time, if my people pray, I'll hear their prayer. So guess what Daniel's doing, buddy? He is praying up a storm. He is on his face. He is on his knees. He's wherever he is. And he is praying. And there. There, there's some realities of prayer that come out of that. We talked about three of them last week, just to, to bring them up to you again before we look at the final one this morning. But there are four realities of prayer that I mentioned. That's not to say that these are the four exclusive realities of prayer. There may be many more. But from, but from the book of Daniel, we saw first just the practice of prayer. And not only there in chapter 9, but throughout the book of Daniel, interspersed in the book of Daniel are these occasions where, where we find Daniel praying, Daniel praying, Daniel praying. And, and, and just, just this practice of prayer in his life. And as we saw in, in Daniel chapter 6, way back when we were in chapter 6, uh, Daniel made it his practice to ha- have, he set aside three specific times during the day. We don't know exactly when those were. We could probably guesstimate or, or speculate. But the point is that he, he knew this was important, so he made prayer a practice of his life. Are you with me? Seemed like I was talking a lot, and y'all weren't saying a whole lot. So. so we could stop right there, right? And we could just say, hey, let's talk about our prayer practice. What does that look like for you? And then we'd all go. 
But listen, we're, we're building on something, so watch, watch what happens with Daniel. To the practice of prayer, and I, it's, I encourage you, go back and listen to the message where we talked about the importance of that, building that practice into your life and how you need to do that, schedule it, and all that stuff we talked about. Second was the attitude of prayer. What is your attitude uh, about prayer? What is your attitude in prayer? And then what is your attitude as a result of prayer? What, what happens to you in prayer? What do you think about prayer? Is prayer, you know, just, okay, um, Christians pray in here. People pray in here, so that must be important. I should do that. Uh, or, uh, well, you know, I, I'm supposed to spend time with God. So it's a quiet time, so pray, check. You know, that's off my list. I got to do it. What is your attitude? What, what do you think about prayer? That's very important. Because, because your attitude towards prayer, what you think about prayer, will go a long ways to the practice of your prayer and, and what prayer looks like in your life. And so there was just this challenge. Daniel had this, this attitude of, of brokenness and surrender and focus on God and God alone. We talked about it in verse 21. Daniel's not even concerned about himself. He's not even concerned whether he, whether he even deserved to be carried off into captivity or not. He's just saying, God, I'm a sinner just like the rest of them are sinners. God, we're getting just what we deserve. But God, I don't want your name to be shamed. God, I don't, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want people to talk about you. This is your land. These are your people. This is, this is your Jerusalem. That attitude of, of prayer is so important. And then the third uh, reality that we talked about last week was the enemy of prayer. And it is a reality. And I say it to you again. It is a reality. You and I have a real enemy in this world. His name is Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. But he is real. And, and we, we looked at several passages of Scripture, but there are numerous passages of Scripture where either we, we find warnings about satanic involvement or work or demonic work, um, but also plenty of examples in Scripture where, where uh, Satan and his, and his fallen angels, those that fell with him in the rebellion against God, work they bring. And in Daniel uh, chapter 9 and verse 23, I think that there was a hint about it there, but clearly in that part in that middle of chapter 10, verse 10 to 13, again, go back and listen to it, but clearly it's it just no beating around the bush. Uh, Gabriel says, Daniel, as soon as you started praying, uh, I was sent with the answer. But the prince of Persia, you can go back and listen to the message if you weren't here. He came against me and for 21 days, he's been, he's been coming against me, keeping me from, from getting to you and giving you the answer to this prayer. And it, it just speaks to the reality that, that, that Satan is not happy when the people of God pray. You, you, you want to make Satan mad? Pray. Now, if you're thinking, well, I don't want to make Satan mad. <laughs> don't want him coming against me. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Uh, you do. But, but, but Satan knows there's nothing. I've said this to some of you before. There, there, is, there is no more dangerous weapon in the hand of God than a, than a child of God on their knees praying. And Satan knows that. And there is demonic activity that goes on. There is a spiritual realm in which we live. We may, we may see the material. I, I see you, you see me. We could, you know, all that kind of stuff. But just because we can't see that part of, of, the, of our existence, that spiritual aspect, doesn't mean it does not exist. And in fact, Scripture says it does exist. And many of you could give examples. I gave one just example last week. But so many times I could tell you when I have sensed Demonic activity at work trying to hinder the work of God and specifically, in some cases, hinder prayer life. So those are three realities of prayer. Today, I want to give the fourth reality of prayer. 
And uh, not that it's any more important than the other three, but it certainly is the one probably that we all look forward to getting to. And that is this. It's the result or results of prayer. The results of prayer. Now, I'm going to read uh, Daniel. And I know, this, I know it's kind of weird, folks, the way we're kind of in 9 and 10. It's not the way I normally do things, but, but we are. I'm going to read 9, 22 and 23. And then those two sections in Daniel 10, uh, 1 through 9 and then 14 through 21. If you're here for the first time, I know we're, you're kind of jumping into the middle of this and you're trying to figure out. And, and we've been in the book of Daniel uh, since the first of the year. I went back and we've been, we started the first of the year in the book of Daniel. And we're getting close to being over. But it, it's, it, it's been a lot. It's a lot to take in. I know it is. So some of you are like, you know, you may be a little lost or whatever. Hang with me. Hang with us because I think you'll get the result. That's what we're getting for. What we're aiming for is the result. So you walk out of here with an understanding of, okay, now I, I get why this matters to me, even if I don't understand exactly everything that's going on. So in chapter 9, in uh, 22 and 23, uh, uh, Daniel has been in his prayer. Uh, in, in beginning in verse 20, Gabriel begins to give him an answer. And then in verse 22, it says, he gave me instruction... And talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding. And then, and we will work on, by the way, the rest of that, the rest of that chapter is that prophecy. We will work on that, uh, Lord willing, next week. And it's a very important prophecy. But then in Daniel chapter 10, we're going to read beginning in verse 1. Watch this. Stay with me now. Uh, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank, the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of upaz. His body was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. The sound of his words, like the sound of a tumult. Now, I, Daniel... I, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision while the men were with me, did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words as... Soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep and on my face, with my face to the ground. And then um, picking it up in verse uh, 14, I think it is. Now, I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. 
for the vision pertains to the days yet future. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. And then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. And now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. And so I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. I know there's some background in there that, again, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, you may be a little confused. Uh, you, you can uh, encourage you to listen to those messages and catch up on some of that. But the point is, Daniel is in the midst of this prayer in chapter 9. And then when we see another one in verse 10. Let's talk about the result of prayer. By the way, keep in mind that uh, Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 10, I think I said this earlier, but they are two completely different uh, events. Daniel chapter 9 uh, takes place in, in uh, verse 1 in the first year of Darius. Chapter 10 takes place in the third year of Cyrus. Both of them were kings at one time or another. So they are two totally separate events, but they point to a common or, or two common results. And that, that's why I'm putting these two together. That's part of chapter 9 and chapter 10. I want you to see the results of Daniel's prayer life and what came about. Uh, by the way, also just another tidbit for you that you probably don't care a bit about. Uh, uh, in the third year of Cyrus the king, that is the, uh, the last recorded date we have in Daniel's life. In other words, the events in Daniel's life do not necessarily unfold, as they're written here in the book of Daniel, do not necessarily unfold chronologically. Obviously, we've still got chapter 11 and chapter 12 to go, but they take place prior to the event that's described here in chapter 10. Uh, Daniel was a very elderly man by the time the third year of King Cyrus. He would have been probably at least in his mid-80s. But this is the last recorded event. We don't know how long Daniel lived after the third year of Cyrus. The king. But what we do know is that Daniel was a man of prayer and he never stopped being a man of prayer. It was part of his life. It was who he was. It was just an investment that he made because he understood the importance of prayer. And another thing, uh, perhaps at some point someone might come to you or you might even yourself. Uh, if you've really been studying this book, you might say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's something, something wrong here. In chapter 10, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, the king, the third year, something about that doesn't sound right to me. Uh, because some people have pointed out, oh, there's a contradiction in the book of Daniel. Uh, let me show it to you, and then we'll just clear it all up. Daniel chapter 1, verse 21, the, the very last uh, verse uh, of chapter 1, and Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus, the king. Chapter 1 says Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Chapter 10 just, just mentions a date that's the third year of Cyrus the king. Isn't that a contradiction? No. If verse one, or chapter 1, 
verse 21 said, and Daniel died in the first year of Cyrus the king, then we would have a contradiction. Then we would have a problem with what's said in chapter 10. But all chapter 1, verse 21, is telling us is that Daniel continued in his official capacity as advisor to the king until the third year of Cyrus. Now, uh, maybe Daniel got too old to continue his duties on a regular basis. Uh, maybe uh, Cyrus just, uh, just retired Daniel because he'd been so faithful to the kingdoms that he had served and he had, he had been an honest advisor. And, and maybe Cyrus just said, hey, you deserve to, I'm just going to retire you and, and you can just, so I don't know, but, but there's no contradiction there. He didn't, he didn't die in the first year of Cyrus. He kept up. He may have stopped his service to the king in the third year of Cyrus, but he never stopped his service to the king of kings. He continued to be a man of prayer. And Daniel, one of the things we're going to see, Daniel got results. And that's what we want, right? Is that, is that what we want? Come on. Is that what you want? All right, let's, uh, let's look at some of the results. Let's start, let's start with the first result. Prayer brings answers from God, right? Now, that's, that's like, I would say, most people, if you, if you said, hey, what's the most important reason to pray? Most people would say, to get answers, to, to hear from God, to see God move, is to get answers. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue that in a minute, that it's not the most important reason, but that's what most of us would say. It's so that we can get answers, we can see God move, and, and listen, like I said, Daniel gets answers. If we look in, in, uh, in chapter 9, uh, in verse uh, 21, 22, somewhere in there, it talks about gaining understanding. I'm going to give you understanding uh, in chapter 10, in verse 10, in verse 14. In verse 21, over and over again, Daniel, you're going to get understanding. Daniel, you're going to give you wisdom. Daniel, you're going to give you the, the, the and verse 21, as it ends in chapter 10 there, it says, um, uh, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Daniel got results. Daniel got answers. Daniel got wisdom. Daniel got insight. Daniel got direction. And I think that's what you and I want out of a prayer life. I think most of us have enough to do with our lives that, that uh, spending 30, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, whatever, in a, in a prayer closet with, with never seeing anything happen, I suspect most of you have got plenty of stuff to do that, that you could spend that time doing something else if you didn't see some results from it. I suspect that's what happens sometimes with people. Prayer brings us wisdom Prayer brings us insight. Prayer brings us knowledge. Prayer brings us power. Well, power for what? For life. For life. For, for being able to cope with this mixed, mixed up, crazy, sin-cursed world that we live in. Do you, do you find yourself lacking in power in your life at times? Do you find yourself up to here with life? Or am I the only one? Am I... Yes, yes, I feel that way. You do feel that way? Fantastic. No, no. You understand what I'm saying, folks? Do y'all feel that way at times? You feel like, I can't, I, don't, I can't cope, I can't do it, I can't make it, I can't. That's what prayer is for. Prayer brings results. Prayer brings answers. And so we pray. Daniel 
prayed, and he prayed a lot. As, as we've already talked about, this was, this was his practice. This was part of his life. This was an investment he made, and that's really what it was. It was an investment. He, he, he had lots of stuff I'm sure he had to do or could do or whatever, but Daniel understood that if you want answers, if you want results, you got to pray. Now, sometimes people say, well, why? You know, if, if God's going mean, to, if God's going to not always answer right when I want, or if the enemy is going to come against me, or if it's going to be hard, or if it's going to be difficult, well, why, why do I even want to do this? Why don't I just, you know, whatever comes, comes. Because, because you need answers, you need strength, you need power, you need wisdom, you need, I need those things in my life. I've got to have all of those things. Prayer. Um, there's this uh, guy from history way back. If you're not a history guy, especially not a church history guy, that you may not even know the name. But uh, there was this preacher back in, way back in the 19th century by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, probably the greatest preacher of the 19th century. Uh, fantastic orator and, and just uh, drew tens of thousands uh, to his church and to the revivals that he did and tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of, well, I would say, be safe to say hundreds of thousands committed their life to Jesus Christ as a result of Spurgeon's uh, preaching. He was just phenomenal. Um, there's a story told, and then I, I uh, confirmed it this morning because I just wanted to make sure that I, that I had it right and that it was who I thought it was. But um, when Spurgeon when guests would visit Spurgeon's church, as time allowed, if they got there early enough, he was around, whatever. I'm sure he didn't do it all the time. But Spurgeon would say, do you want to, do you want to visit the power plant of this facility? And, and the church, by the way, in London, it was a magnificent church and very large and seated a lot of people. And so Spurgeon would take visitors, so the story goes, Spurgeon would take visitors down into the basement where they thought they're going to see the heating furnace or something like this. They're going down there to see. And he would take them into a prayer room where already there would be dozens and dozens of people on their knees, on their faces, praying for the services that day, praying and lifting up uh, uh, Dr. Spurgeon and, and his, his preaching. Uh, the story goes that it started with just a group of elderly ladies uh, when Spurgeon was a very young man who said, we're going to pray for you. And, and as the story goes, they would go underneath, they would go into the basement uh, the first church that he was in, and get directly under the pulpit, the, the, the stand, the lectern where Spurgeon would preach, and they would get on their faces and they would pray for the entire time while Spurgeon was preaching. And uh, as a result, hundreds of thousands came to know Christ as their Savior. It, it's, it's the point of prayer. It's to get answers to what we're trying to get out of life. Listen. If you, there, there may be other reasons, all right? There may be other reasons, and we could talk about those. But if you find yourself struggling with uh, anxiety, uh, if you find yourself having a hard time uh, trusting, if fear is a, is, a, is a daily part of your life that you have to live with, fear of what's going to happen or fear of what's not going to happen or, you know, all this kind of stuff. If you struggle with those kind of things, check your prayer life. Like I said, there, there sometimes can be some other reasons that that may be going on in a person's life. But check your prayer life and see what does your prayer life look like. Can I, can I make specific application of that um, for our lives and even for the life of this church? If, you're, if you check your prayer life and you find, hey, I'm spending, I, I look at it, I think I'm spending a significant amount of time with God. Now, that's only, only you can answer that for you. Maybe your spouse, if you're married, could say, oh, don't, don't let them tell you that. 
<laughs> but uh, if, if, if you say, you know what, I, I know, I'm, I am spending a significant amount of time uh, with God. I, I'm earnestly seeking His face. I, I'm, I'm looking for God's answers. If you, if you find yourself doing that and you still don't find the answers coming, because they don't always come right away, right? Wouldn't that be fantastic? It was just like, like being at the, uh, the bank, at the, the teller. You know, you just, just put your thing in there, whoosh, sucks up and goes over to the teller, and then she sends you back money. Wouldn't it be awesome if uh, a prayer just worked that way? Just, you know, right, whoosh, send it up to God and whoosh, comes back down, and here's your winning lottery numbers. No, I'm just, just kidding, no. But what, you know what I'm saying? But it doesn't, it doesn't always work that way. God doesn't always answer right away like that. God doesn't, the response doesn't always come that fast. And if you find yourself, I am spending significant time for Christ. It's not, it's not my fault. I am. I'm, I'm living according to God's will. I'm getting my face before God. I, I'm not trying to get it in, you know, five minutes as I'm laying in bed and falling asleep. And, 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 and in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not trying to get it in then. And it's not, I'm not just talking about my my. 20 minute commute that I'm talking to God while I'm driving and Lord I just want to thank you it's a great hey get out and Lord it's, you know, I'm not talking about any of that stuff I'm talking about significant time face time with God and you still don't see the answers coming remember you have an enemy and if he tried to hinder Daniel's prayers Daniel this prayer warrior this man of prayer this man who got on his face before God if, if, if the enemy could hinder a response to Daniel's prayer for 21 days and I think about me and, and my little inadequate prayer life compared to Daniel's. It could be 21 years. I'm just saying we've got, we've got an enemy. So, so what, what do we do? I, I just got a little thing up, uh, just put up on the screen. You might, might want to write it down, folks. Here's what you do. You hold on to the promise of God and you push on until the victory is yours. That's what you do. If you, if you want answers to prayer and you don't see them coming and you know it's not you. You are, you are in prayer. You are before God, you do have your face. You've set that time aside. You're not letting anything interrupt you. You've scheduled it. You're protecting it. You're doing it like we talked about last week. Then listen, folks, you just got to hold on to the promise of God and push on until the victory is yours. That's what you got to do. That's what Daniel did. Daniel just said, hey, this is what I'm doing the rest of my life anyway. I'm going to pray till God answers. So that's what you got to do. Can I say that? Can I make specific application for cross-culture church? Because I know some people have, have indicated that, that perhaps they think, well, perhaps part of the reason that the cross-culture church hasn't just absolutely exploded in growth is maybe it's because there's not, not enough prayer being, being lifted up. Maybe it's not enough uh, prayer going on because cross-culture's got a lot of stuff going for it, but we haven't filled up this auditorium and, you know, what's going on and all that kind of thing. We, we got great people that work. We got a great facility. We, we have great music. Uh, we have great material to work with. Well, no matter what I do with it, we have great material to work with. Uh, we have all that stuff. And so some people say, well, maybe, maybe it's not enough, enough prayer going up. Can, can I just say to you that's exactly what the seven uh, ministry was designed to do? There's a big billboard of it out there kind of in the hallway uh, that we've asked. And many of you have, have signed it. But I just, I, just, I just throw it up. Just to remind you, Peter, I'd just like to do that. You walk by that sign. There's an inf- a little information card there. Jenna Design explains exactly what uh, the seven prayer thing does. But part of it is that, that you're praying for seven people. Seven people that you know, that as far as you know, don't know Jesus. And you're praying for them. And if you say, well, but, uh, but some of my people, they don't even live in this state. How does that help cross-culture? It, it, listen, can I tell you this? This may shock you. It's not about helping cross-culture. It's about the kingdom of God. And if we focus on the kingdom of God, God will take care of cross-culture. But if we're praying for the lost and we're engaging the lost, which is part of the seven challenge or some other things, it's all on that card. But if we'll do that, if we'll say, you know what? I've been hesitant to sign that thing because I think it's kind of stupid anyway. 
to, to sign a big thing, uh, but I'm going to do it. Sign it and then do it to pray seven days a week for seven people that don't have a relationship with Jesus, praying seven items for yourself to help you be a greater witness for Christ. All of those kind of things are part of the seven challenge. Listen, if, we, if we're praying, I, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care if, there's, if the enemy's trying to hinder the prayer results, if, if, if we're still, things we still need. I don't, if we're praying, God will do the work. God will do the work. We got to do our part. We got our responsibility, but we got to pray. So I just, I just want to challenge you today. When you walk out of here today, if there's 67 people in line waiting to sign the seven challenge board, stop and wait. And you sign it too. And then prayer. Because we, we got to have prayer if we want to get answers. Okay. That's a result of prayer. And many people would say, what time is it? Whoo, that that is the most important result of prayer. But I would say to you, it is not the most important pr- result of prayer. What are you talking about? Hey, I want to get answers. I want, I want to hear from God. I want God to, isn't that, isn't that why we pray? Yes, that certainly is a reason we pray. But it's not the most important reason we pray, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the most important result from prayer. Here it is right here. Prayer brings a relationship with God. That's why we pray. That should be the primary motivation for my prayer. Yes, I want God to move. Yes, I want God to respond to my prayers. Yes, I want this person to get get healed. And yes, I I want to get this job. And yes, I want to, you know, all those things that we pray to God about. But ladies and gentlemen, prayer brings a relationship with God. And that ought to be a tremendous motivation. Now, listen, I I don't, I don't have time to go through it all, but let me, did, did you notice as we read through there, that word esteemed, highly esteemed, three times in chapter nine and in chapter 10, Daniel is referred to as highly esteemed. It's a Hebrew noun that means, uh, to desire. Some translations put the beloved one or the beloved, but it's to desire. Now think about that a minute. This is an amazing, amazing statement. God just said he desires to be with Daniel. The God who doesn't need anything, doesn't, not insufficient, not lacking, not lonely, not anything, wants to be. God loves Daniel so much he desires to be in this relationship, desires to to have this ongoing relationship with him that takes place during this process of prayer. Well, doesn't God love everybody? Doesn't God want to be with everybody? Sure he does. Of course he does. But Daniel reciprocated. You You understand what I'm saying? Daniel wanted to be with God. And so Daniel made the time. Daniel, Daniel made the effort. Daniel got on his face and Daniel prayed. Well, I, I, I want to have that relationship with God. I, I want to be with God. Really? Really? Now think about it. What does your prayer life look like? Because that's a pretty good reflection on how much you really want this ongoing deep relationship with God. Listen, I, I'm, I'm pointing at myself as much as I'm pointing at you, right? Isn't that the old saying? Remember, anytime you point a finger at anybody, there's some fingers pointing back at you. <laughs> How much this relationship with God? Now, let me, let me, let me just close with this. Uh, there's this amazing section in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel, in the Old Testament, gets to see what's called a, a pre-incarnate vision of the Son of God. I'm convinced that's who it is. See, most, most Bible students are convinced that's who it is. But I want to read the description to you, and then we're going we're gonna to close this section out. But look, this is Daniel. This is verse 5 and 6 again. Now, listen. Here's the description of this person. He's down by the Tigris River, and he sees this person. Now, watch. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of upaz. By the way, upaz, we really don't know. It may have been an area where the gold was coming from. Some people believe it was a description of the quality of the gold, but it was good. 
a belt of pure gold of upaz. His body also was like uh, beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming uh, torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. That's who Daniel sees at the, as, as in this prayer in chapter 10. As he's been on his face before God. He's been, he's been fasting. He's been seeking God's face. And, 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 and he gets this vision that I believe is the son of God. It's what he sees. Now, I believe it for a lot of reasons, but let me fast forward a few hundred years uh, to the book of Revelation. Look at Revelation uh, chapter 1. Uh, then I turned to see the voice. This is John, the apostle John, who had been with Jesus. Now he's a very old man. He's on the island of Patmos. Some of y'all remember we went, spent a year in, in Revelation. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. Isn't that interesting that John uses that phrase, Jesus' favorite term for himself that first shows up in the book of Daniel. Um, I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it's been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. You lay those two texts side by side. And it's, it's almost a mirror description. John's is maybe a little more in depth. But it's almost a mirror description. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? That the two most significant prophetic books in the Bible. Uh, dealing with old end time events. The book of Daniel in the Old Testament and the book of Revelation in the New Testament. Both of them give this description of, of Christ in his, in his glorified state. And by the way, Daniel, this highly esteemed, this beloved one, gets to see him. And guess what John was known as, as in his ministry with Jesus? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that interesting? That, you know what it's about, folks? It's about the relationship. That's what it is. They had this deep, intimate, personal relationship with God. And so they not only saw the answers to their prayers, they got to experience this relationship with God. As we close this part of our service this morning, let me just say this to you. That relationship begins right here. Oh, you mean I, I, I find God through the, through the elements? No, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that relationship begins with what these elements represent. This bread, this wine, represents the body and blood of Christ crucified on the cross. And that's where a relationship with Jesus Christ always begins at the cross. The practice of prayer is very important for our lives. But it's not just the practice, it's the attitude that's important as well. The answer to our prayers may be hindered at times by the enemy's work, but because of God's great power available to us and His great love for us, we can wait confidently for the answers while deepening our relationship with our God. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. 
At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.